This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Let me pray, and we'll get into the message. Father, we love you. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would, would, uh, um, would just cause your word just to come alive in our hearts and to change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was an uh, ad on the radio, a doctor uh, was marketing a solution for people of suffering from nerve pain in their hands and feet, and, and the, the tagline was this. Imagine living a pain-free, imagine living pain-free for the rest of your life. That's the sort of ad that causes lots of people to say, I'll sign up for that. In fact, our culture will do nearly anything to escape pain and suffering. Dr. Paul Brand, a pioneering orthopedic surgeon, he actually wrote a book about this whole thing of pain. His, much of his, of his work and his medical practice was working with leprosy patients and spent a ton of time in India with people in incredible suffering and pain. And, and here's what he said. The last half of his career, he left India, came and worked among regular folks in the United States. And here's what he said. He said, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter, this series we've called Aliens. Peter kicks off the book and uses this term another few times in the book, referring to these Christians as aliens or strangers or exiles. And about half of the book of First Peter is dedicated to this whole topic of suffering well. Because he's talking to these folks who had suffered a great deal, primarily for their faith, but also just the normal struggles in life. They'd suffered a great deal, and even more suffering was coming their way. And so about half of 1 Peter is really about this topic of how do we suffer well. And we touched on this a little bit from a different perspective in the first week of this series. But as we get to the last half of 1 Peter, about half of the last half, really more than that, talks about this suffering thing. And so we're going to talk about this Today, if you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. It says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. But then he begins to talk about this suffering thing. Some of these folks were experiencing suffering at the hands of those they worked for as they were servants or slaves. And so this suffering thing ties into that. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? He says, if you get in trouble for doing the wrong thing, there's no credit for that. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable for, before God. To this you were called, why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
And then he was quoting other scripture. He says he committed no sin he was, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And then another quoting of Old Testament, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Again, quoting from Isaiah, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And here's what I think is a challenge for us as, as Westerners, as Americans, as suburbanites, is, is our instinct is to avoid pain at all costs, and our instinct is, is to see pain and suffering only through a negative lens. And I wanna to talk to you today about, and obviously pain and suffering is, is not the way it was supposed to be. We'll talk about that later. Obviously it is painful and it is suffering. Um, but I wanna to talk to you through about the lens of what are, what are the good pieces that God might wanna use in our life? Here's the first truth. There is a good kind of suffering. So really, there's three primary types of suffering. There's what I would call natural suffering, where we suffer simply because we live in a broken world filled with broken people. And so whenever there's a result of a famine or hurricane or tornado, there's natural disasters. It's, 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 it's simply the support of this fact that we live in this broken, fallen world. It wasn't supposed to be that way. God created the world perfect. And then we chose to sin, turn our backs on God. Sin entered into the world. Brokenness entered into the world. The fall occurred. And because of that, there's this natural suffering. And so sickness would be this natural suffering. We live in a broken, fallen world that, and filled with broken people and the, the loss of a loved one often just falls in this category of we just we live in this broken world and we're going to die and hurt caused by others for no good reason falls into this category of broken world, broken people. Because of that, there's this natural suffering. And then there's what I would call sowing and reaping types of suffering. This is when we do the wrong thing and then bad things come into our life. Consequences. The Bible says you reap what you sow. And so we see this with Jonah, where God calls Jonah to go to a place. He says, I'm gonna go to the opposite place. And his life begins to fall apart. David, we see this with King David. He's, he's up on his roof. He's peeping on as the neighbor lady. She's taking a bath. And then he says, hey, send her over to me. They have this affair. She gets pregnant. And then all this brokenness comes into David's life and into his family. It was, he, he made some bad decisions that then led to some pain in his life. And all of us have those types of things. You do a thing that breaks trust with your spouse. And, and then suddenly it's not as much fun to come home. You put your work before your kids for a decade, and then you wonder why they are incredibly challenging to live with. It's this thing of, of reaping and sowing. You put your kids before your marriage for 20 years, and then suddenly you feel like you're married to a stranger. There's reaping and sowing types of things. You go on a strict diet of Twinkies, salami, <laughs> Funyuns, and big red cola for 40 years. There's gonna be some reaping and sowing. It's these, and so that's a type of suffering, the suffering that, it, that we play at least some part in it entering into our life. And, I, and obviously that, that's a big player. And, 
But what Paul is primarily talking about to these people here that he's writing this letter to is what I'd call holy suffering. It's when we suffer not for doing the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. And we see this in the Bible. We see this with, with, with Daniel, and, and, and we see this thing where, where, where he was told not to pray. He said, I'm gonna pray anyway. Suffering came. Paul, we see over and over again, he was, he was beaten simply for preaching Jesus. And so there's this holy suffering where it's not just simply the fact that we live in a broken world with broken people that do broken things, and it's, it's not simply this natural suffering, and it's definitely not because we did the wrong thing, but there's this holy suffering where we're suffering actually for doing the right thing. It's what I would propose as sort of a, a, a good kind of suffering. And we see this is, what happened, this is what happened to Jesus. And this is what's going on with the people that Peter is writing to. And so in 1 Peter 2.18, what he says is he says, he says, but it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. He says, there's actually an upside to this. It's commendable. He says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? He says, there's nothing, no upside to the sowing and reaping kind of suffering. He says, you know, you can still learn from it, you can still grow from it, but in this sense, it's not the kind of, it's not this holy suffering. And, And he says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable. We see later, Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 17, he says, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Did you see the story of the Nigerian Christians just a week ago doing the same thing that we're doing in a church, worshiping and praying and receiving the teaching of God's word, and then these Terrorists come in simply because they're worshiping. They kill two of them, kidnap a few dozen of them, suffering not because they did anything wrong, but but suffering for doing right. There's this, there is a good type of suffering. Another thing about suffering is we learn from the one who was good at suffering. 1 Peter 2, 21, he says, to this you recalled, why? Because Christ suffered for you, and what did he do? He left you an example that you should follow in his his steps. He committed no sin. Jesus' suffering wasn't reaping and sowing suffering. It wasn't because he did the wrong thing. He suffered because he did the right thing, and he says, no deceit was found in his mouth, and he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. See, our instinct is this, even when we're doing the right thing, and experience the smallest amount of opposition, well, then we quickly can begin to want to do the wrong thing. And we can quickly begin to to want to retaliate back. And he says, well, we have this example of the one who was actually good at suffering, because here's the fact, most of us are terrible at it. But Jesus was good at it. He did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. See, I grew up in Texas, where if you kill us, we will kill you back. But Jesus wasn't that way. As they're nailing him to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says he didn't threaten, he didn't retaliate. He said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So what did Jesus do? He, did, he, didn't, he didn't fight back, he didn't make threats. He, 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 what he did is he, he trusted his Father the, the one who judges justly. And see, Jesus suffered for us. And I don't know if you know this, but, but, but this, if you look at every religion in the world, 
You look at Islam, you look at, at, at Buddhism, Hinduism, you look at every religion in the world, whatever their view, even Judaism, whatever their view of God might be, the idea that a God would suffer is a completely foreign concept. I love how Tim Keller talks about it. He says, Jesus Christ suffered socially everything you ever, would, could ever suffer. He suffered rejection, loneliness. He suffered physically more than we ever can, could, could understand. He suffered spiritually. He experienced tremendous alienation and desolation, being cut off from his father in ways none of us have ever experienced. Here is a God, when you go to him and say, God, I'm suffering, he's the only God in any religion who can honestly say, I know what you mean. He's, see, we have this incredible example from the one who was actually good at suffering. First Peter 3.18, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, Jesus' life was so defined, and it was, it was always going to be so defined by suffering, that in Isaiah, in these messianic prophecies, talking about Jesus ultimately coming, there are these, these, these prophecies in Isaiah where, are, where, where Jesus is actually prophesied as, as this figure that's called the suffering servant. It was so rooted in Jesus, his identity, that when the prophets spoke about him coming, suffering was at the, at the root. Isaiah 53, let me read you a few verses out of there. It says he was despised, talking about Jesus, and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, get this, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we were healed. He was oppressed. I hear all this suffering language. He was pierced. He was bruised. He was oppressed. He was despised. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet we, he did not open his mouth. He was not like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to, to crush him and cause him to suffer. He suffered in our place. God took our suffering upon himself. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. It's talking about us. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, the resurrection, and be satisfied. See, we see this, Jesus is this example of suffering. Suffering was at the very root of the identity of Jesus. And so Peter's talking to these people that, that are suffering, not for doing wrong, but for doing good. And, and Peter says, hey, we have an example of one who suffered well, who didn't, who didn't fight back when people attacked him and didn't threaten back when people threatened him and didn't mock back when they mocked him, but trusted in the one who judges justly. See, we, we're terrible at this. Uh, part of the reason I think we're terrible at suffering as Americans is we assume it will not happen. There's places in the world where, where there's no denial that suffering's real, and there's no, no escaping it, but if you live in a south suburban Reno life, you can kind of hide from a lot of the suffering in the world, and, and you can convince yourself that suffering is the exception in life, and so then, but when it inevitably does come, when we inevitably do get the bad news from the doctor about ourselves or a loved one or our family's experiencing difficulty like we could never imagine that we're just surprised. We're just like, oh, I, this isn't what I signed up for when I signed up for American Dream 101. 
but get surprised. And so Peter says, don't be surprised. He, he, he says, uh, he, he says we, in, in 1 Peter 4, 12, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Part of the reason we're, we struggle at it is, is we don't expect it. And so Peter tells us, he says, don't be surprised like this is unusual. You live in a broken world with broken people. There's gonna be some suffering. We've all have sin in our own life that invites difficulty into our life. There's gonna be some suffering. And you, as a follower of Jesus, living a life of, of a bright light in a dark place, there's going to be some suffering. I, I, I like how James says it talking about not if trials of many kinds come, but that when they come, it's, it's a reality, and then we freak out when it does. Something I was thinking about this week, thinking about Jesus as our example of suffering, that he suffered for us, that it's through his suffering that ultimately we're going to all be completely healed, but that, did you, did you ever think of this fact, that Jesus is still suffering? Kind of blow your mind, because he's also at the right hand of the Father. But in the book of Acts, when, when Saul, who would later become Paul, and Saul was out killing and Christians and beating Christians simply for, for loving and following Jesus, and he's on that road to Damascus, and Jesus appears, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, there's this thing where we're so directly connected to Jesus. He's in us, we're in him that when we suffer, he suffers with us. Isn't that incredible? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't doing anything to Jesus. He's going after these Christians, but what Jesus wants him to know, wants us to know, is that he is so inextricably linked with us that when we are suffering, that he is suffering too. Here's the next truth. There is good that can come from suffering. See, what, what Peter wants these folks to know is that, that he's telling them that it's possible not just to survive suffering, but that, but that you can actually thrive in suffering, that there's actually usefulness that can come in the midst of this difficulty. He shares a few things. One, when we suffer well, inevitably opportunities to share the gospel will come. He says in 1 Peter 3, 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He says, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And then what he says, it doesn't feel like it makes sense, but it does. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope you have. So here's what, what Peter's saying. He says, as you suffer well, as, as when you are suffering and people are, 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 and you have every excuse in the natural to respond poorly, you have every excuse in the natural to complain and to moan, and you have every excuse in the natural as people are attacking you, you want to attack them back, and they're threatening you, and you want to threaten them back, and they're mocking you, and you want to mock them back. He says, but as you follow the example of Jesus, who didn't threaten back, but loved back, and, and didn't fight back, but loved back and forgave, and didn't seem panicked and freaked out, but, but had this quiet peace in his life. He says, as, as you do this, as you respond in supernatural ways that go against the norm of how everyone else responds when life gets crappy, people are gonna say, how are you doing that? 
He says, look at this. He says, always, he says, don't always be prepared. He says, don't, don't, don't fear their threats. You don't, don't get scared when suffering comes. He says, always be prepared to give an answer when they ask for the reason for the hope you have. When you get that bad news and, and you're not as freaked out as everybody else would be, or, or that thing happens in your family and you're not as freaked out as everyone else would be, and the economy takes a, a turn that's gonna hurt your business and hurt your finances and hurt your family, and you're not scared, but you're still walking in peace and people are, are coming against you, not for doing wrong, but for doing right, and you're responding with love and grace and forgiveness, and people say, why in the real, how in the world are you doing this? He says, be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. Be ready to say, hey, hey, hey there's a reason that I'm not freaked out about this. He says, because I, even though I'm not in control, I know the one who is in control loves me and he showed me that love for me that when I was still doing the wrong thing, he died in my place. He says, be ready to respond with why do you have the hope that you have, and then I love how Peter says this, because Peter, unlike any of us, Peter's meant the jer jerky Christian, right? Anyone ever met the jerky Christian? Like the jerk for Jesus? Most of those people, I just want you to know, they would be jerks with or without Jesus. And then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He says, so, hey, when they ask how you have this hope, he says, man, don't open up this big can of all your Bible answers on them in a jerky way. We all know that guy, right? Anybody have like a distant family member that like sends you the weird Jesus emails? If I can send you some of mine. All right, so um, <laughs> please don't. So there's these opportunities that come to share the gospel. There's these opportunities to receive blessings for suffering for Jesus. First Peter 4, 13 says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, he says there are these blessings that come. The same thing that Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, there's this thing where, where we, we begin to know him better through suffering. Paul talks about how he says, he says, the number one thing I've got in life in Philippians 3, he says, my number one goal is, he says, I, all the other stuff that I thought life was all about, he says, it's not about any of that stuff. He says, I really do just wanna know Jesus more. And then he says this, he says, I wanna know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. See, there's this weird thing where there's almost like this, 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 this level of knowing Jesus that only can come through suffering. Have you ever had like an experience in your life, like a life-defining experience where you look back and say, this was such a big part of my life that if, you're good, that, that if you don't understand this thing, Thing that I went through, you're, you're never gonna know me 100%. Maybe you, maybe you were in, in, in war, and you're like, hey, there's, there's people that, 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 I, that can know a whole lot about me that I can be really, really close to, but there are some people, the only people that, that can get me 100% are people that went through that same thing. You ever had a friend like that? And there's kind of this thing where it's like for us to ever 
know Jesus at this other level because suffering so defined who the, the life of Jesus that, that Paul says, hey, I recognize. If I'm gonna know him the way I wanna know him, it's gonna include some suffering. There's this level of knowing Jesus that only comes through some of that seems to be what Paul is saying. And it really ties into what the psalmist said about God being close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So here's the thing. It, this doesn't mean that the things that happened to you were good. It doesn't mean that what happened to those Christians in Nigeria last week, that wasn't good. No, that was straight out of the pit of hell. But, but, but part of the wonder of God and his grace and his power and his goodness is even the most difficult things in life he ultimately can redeem for good so that ultimately we grow, which takes us to the next thing. We grow the most in suffering. He says, dear friends, 1 Peter 4, 12, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. That word, uh, the Greek for fiery ordeal is this Greek word, purosis. Sounds a whole lot like our word purify. See, there's this, Peter says, don't be, don't be surprised by this purifying, difficult experience that you're going through. God uses the fiery trials to, to grow and to purify us. You've probably heard the famous C.S. Lewis quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Here's the last thing and we're done. There is good news about suffering. It was never supposed to be this way. And because Jesus suffered for us, it will not always be this way. You know what helped Jesus in his suffering? While Jesus was on the cross, giant nine-inch nails going through his wrists, Spear in his side, giant crown of thorns on his head, beaten in there, had been beaten within an inch of his life before any of that happened. You know what got Jesus through it? You know what kept Jesus from, from just calling down a full legion of angels to come and just kill all those people? Or to just, or to just pronounce curses, hey, you're, you're all gonna go to hell. This would have been so easy for Jesus. Oh yeah, hell's gonna suck for you. You know what kept Jesus from doing any of that? It was the future. Hebrews for Hebrews 12, 2, the writer says this. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like how Eugene Peterson says it in the message translation. He said, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Look at this. Study how he did it. How did Jesus endure suffering and remain faithful to, to the Father and, and obedient in his mission? Oh, how did he do it? I love how he says it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Isn't that such a great phrase? Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish, that exhilarating finish in and with God. Good look at this. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. He says, whenever you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. Look how Eugene says it. He says, that will shoot adrenaline into your soul. To get this. So I believe that Jesus, he says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he endured this incredible suffering that we can't imagine because he knew what was before him. I think there's a number of pieces to that. 
I think obviously part of that was, was he knew he was going to be right, right, right hand of the Father. He was obeying the Father. I think part of that is he knew he was doing it for us to save us, that there's this sense in which we are the joy that is set before him. But I think part of it is this. I think he knew the resurrection was coming. That, that he knew that, that, that he's enduring suffering, but soon he's going to rise from the dead. And I believe that he saw even farther into the future at that moment where he will make everything new. And so listen, just like it was Jesus keeping an eye on the future and an and eye on pleasing the Father, an eye on his resurrection, an eye on that moment where he would make everything new and there would be no more suffering, just like it was the future that got Jesus through that incredible suffering, it's the future, it's keeping our eyes on the future that gets us through the suffering. It's that, that keeping that, that, that fact that, that Jesus suffered for us Keep, and, and the fact that, that he conquered death. And so just as Jesus' resurrection got him through that suffering, the fact that we know that because Jesus rose from the dead and I'm trusting in him, I too will rise from the dead and that ultimately Jesus is going to take away all the suffering. Guys, I love this little passage, Revelation 21. If you're here long enough, I read it, I don't know, once a month. Because it tells us how the story ends. So the writer of Hebrews says, how did Jesus get through the suffering? It's because he knew what was coming. And so we gotta know what's coming for us. Revelation 21, verse one, it tells us the picture at the end. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. It's this picture of, of evil and darkness. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. But here it is, here's what Jesus says. He says he will, he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more sadness. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, that broken world filled with broken people that, that do bad things to us and then the bad things we do to ourselves, he says, all of that's going away. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. How did Jesus endure suffering for us on the cross? It says he kept his eye on what was coming, the resurrection, the renewal of all things, the fact that there would be a moment because Jesus suffered for us that there ultimately would be a moment where there will be no more suffering, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more divorce, no more child abuse, no more orphans, no more broken relationships. There'll be no more of that because he will make all things let me pray for you. You know, it really doesn't, there's no type of suffering that you can experience. Whether it's simply suffering because we live in a broken world 
broken people or, a su- or suffering because of sins and mistakes you've made or, or suffering for the sake of the gospel. When the psalmist said that he's close to the brokenhearted, it, there's no caveats there. In each of those situations, God, in this mysterious way, desires to make his presence more real to us in those moments of our lives, probably because we need him the most or we're most aware of our need for him in those moments. And maybe you're in a season of pain, difficulty, suffering, and maybe even just the quietness of your heart. Maybe, maybe you just say, Father, I, I just confess I'm more aware of my need for you right now than in most times of my life. So, Father, I I just confess I desperately need a renewed sense that you are close to me in this moment, that you're close to the brokenhearted. So, Father, by your Spirit, God, would you just give me a greater sense that you're with me in this suffering moment? I know you're with me, but God, would you help me to sense it in a greater way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.